Just a heads up, this article read will contain full spoilers for Iron Fist Season 2. Catholicism and Matt Murdock's career as an attorney, Jessica Jones tackled sex, consent, and trauma. Luke Cage depicted local city politics and race relations. On the other hand, Season 1 of Iron Fist was barely about anything. Season 2 of Iron Fist is a completely different show, with finally something to say. The first time we see Danny Rand in non-vigilante mode, it is in a position we don't expect him to be. He is working an honest job doing hard, physical labor carrying boxes for a moving company. He is discreet and anonymous, wearing a hoodie and avoiding attention. Danny is acknowledging his privilege, something he was accosted by Luke Cage and the Defenders for not doing so. Danny's brother, Ward Meacham, doesn't quite understand Danny's explanation, but he relents. We'll get to him in a bit. Here we see Danny Rant actively trying to give back to the community with honest, hard work as we do with Colleen Wing. Having hung up her katana due to her fear of committing violence, Colleen is now volunteering at a community center. Previously in Season 1, she taught youths self-defense, fighting in discreet cage matches to fund her classes. Now she aids the community in a more public and less illicit manner. The dilemma that Danny eventually faces is that he is giving too much. He becomes obsessive in his mission to protect the city, now carrying the burden that Matt Murdock presumably killed himself carrying before him. Colleen is the only person in his life able to ground him, keeping him from overextending himself and teaching him how to control his emotions. To some degree, Danny is too far gone in his self-righteous battle. As a result, the Iron Fist becomes his own drug. Unlike his fortune, and unlike his white privilege, the Iron Fist is one of the only things that Danny Rand does not inherit but rather earns. This is where Danny's other brother, Davos, comes into play. See, Davos believes the Iron Fist to be a birthright of his, an entitlement. When he sees an outsider, a boy who fell from the sky, earn it instead, he conjures up a plan to steal back what he believes to be rightfully his. We have Danny, who wins the Iron Fist in ritual combat, but is internally damaging himself with his obsession to use the Fist in his never-ending quest to quash crime. Davos is not too dissimilar, desiring the power because of his belief that he would do better with it, and that his form of violent justice is purer. It turns out that regardless if one is worthy of the Iron Fist, it was neither one of theirs to begin with. Probably the biggest turn of events in the season is Calling Wing becoming the new Iron Fist, and an even bigger revelation is that one of her ancestors, the Pirate Queen in Kunlung, could have very well been the first person to wield the fist. Truly, the birthright is Colleen's. Danny's decision to help Colleen obtain and inherit the Iron Fist has a lot of implications. It is Danny finally being self-aware of his own addiction, acknowledging the strength of Colleen's character, and upon the discovery of Colleen's lineage, an opportunity to not only discover more about the Asian-based culture that he immersed himself in, but also about his own destiny and purpose. 
I haven't made it a secret that I believe that an Asian American Iron Fist would have been the best approach for the series. I've talked much about it in both written word and in podcast form. It's difficult to tell whether or not Colleen becoming a new Iron Fist was an intentional way to correct this. But the journey that Danny is going as a result of this development is promising and potentially righting some wrongs. Danny understands that even though he wants the Iron Fist, it isn't his. He no longer has the burden of risking life and limb for others on a daily basis. He is now fighting for his own answers. He doesn't need to move boxes in an act to prove himself, he just needs to practice self-care and self-reflection. With that, it's fitting that Ward is his travel companion. In several ways, the plight of Ward Meacham is parallel to Danny's. He too suffers a drug problem, quite literally. While his Narcotics Anonymous meetings are a mechanism to cope with it, Ward struggles the entire season to accept help. It makes sense that Ward was confused by Danny's blue-collar career change at the beginning of Season 2. Despite his character growth from the first season, the concept of helping others was alien to him. It takes a series of self-destructive episodes for Ward to learn any of this, with the sponsor and lover Bethany caught in the mix. It isn't until after Ward relapses with addiction and learns that Bethany is pregnant with his child that he takes a major shift. Flowers in hand, he states his desire to Bethany to help take care of their child together. He wants to prove himself a better person. She says no, and her reasoning makes sense. Ward doesn't know how to take care of himself, so how can he be expected to take care of others yet? The same goes for Danny. How could he protect a whole city when he's essentially hurting himself every day on the job? This season of Iron Fist seems to go out of its way to do everything that the first season could not do, especially when it comes to character development. Every character in this show goes through a period of self-reflection. Joy questions what she truly wants, a new start for her future or revenge due to her past. And Mary Walker has a more literal version of her struggle, with her two alters of Mary and Walker having contradicting desires and ideas of self-care. Iron Fist Season 2 is about the difference between want and need. Danny and Davos both want the fist, but what they really needed were their own self-evaluations on where their destiny truly lies. Colleen just wants to help people like normal, but she has to claim her birthright and use the fist, as she's the best person to do so. Ward wants to retreat to his substances, then decides to be a supportive father. But first, he needs to learn how to best take care of himself. All of these characters have the need to ground themselves in reality by the end of the story. With all the talk from former showrunner Scott Buck about Iron Fist and Inhumans need to be grounded, it is ironic that this more mythic season, sans Buck, is still grounded in an entirely different sense. Hey everyone, it's Chris Compendio, and you're listening to AP Marvel. Uh, Assuming all went well, you should have just listened to my uh, article read of my Iron Fist Season 2 thematic um, take. And uh, yeah, uh, I got a full panel here. We're just going to talk about Iron Fist Season 2 and talk about what the season was actually about. So, uh, first up, I got uh, AP Marvel uh, substitute teacher, as we call him. I got Thomas Rasmussen here. Thomas, what's up? Hi. Not much. Okay. Uh, got Adam Barnhart here. Adam, how are those Twitter mentions going? 
Man, I have kind of <laughs> taken a break from Twitter. Okay, I don't know understandable. what it is. And su- surprisingly, my life has been much uh, better. I'm not oh. sure if that's like a direct correlation. Wow, uh, what a surprise. Uh, right? No, yeah, they're calm this week. I got to uh, be right back while I tweet something. <laughs> okay. And uh, we got Rhiannon here, uh, a.k.a. Broken Walls. Rhiannon, what is new? Nothing much. I've been watching, so since Adam's been gone off Twitter, it appears Joe Casada has just taken on all the trolls. So, um, I was just yeah. catching up on all of that. Yeah, Casada has taken Adam's role. Um, Man, Casada's just like, maybe he was inspired by Adam. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Adam just taking on the trolls, Casada was like, you know... I can do that too. Yeah, Adam right. is the uh, MMD crusader around these parts. Um, so yeah, we all finished Iron Fist season two. The reason I don't have Anthony Nizzy here is because I don't think either of them really care. So screw them. Uh, <laughs> Does Izzy really not care? <laughs> well, I mean, I I sent Izzy my article for her to like give feedback, and like it has full spoilers, and she just she just read the whole thing, like not really caring about it. Got you. Got <laughs> yeah, you. gave me good feedback on that. So, um, yeah, I I've been contemplating this a lot because I don't think season one really had a uh, uh a an obvious thematic point to it the same way like Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage did. So, um. You know, uh, what's his name? M. Raven uh, Metzner, that's his name. Um, yeah, definitely uh, ran, ran a tight ship, I think. So, uh, <laughs> but but in terms of, like, um, actually putting words to what the season was about, I was curious what you guys thought about it. And we've all talked about in length about this, um, Adam and Rianne, and I've been, like, listening to you guys on the podcast talking about that. Adam, I read your review. Um, so I wanted to kind of take a more intimate look into, uh, what we've already talked about and, uh, just try to, uh, try to sum up, like, the dramatic question, the thesis statement that Iron Fist Season 2 had. So, Adam, let's start with you, since you are a resident Iron Fist fan here. What did you mm-hmm. think Season 2 was about, if you had to give, like, an elevator pitch? If I had to give an elevator pitch on season yeah. two, yeah, oh, <laughs> man, um, I do want to start this off by saying how thrilled I am that this is my third podcast in a row talking Iron Fist. <laughs> um, so that's kind of dope. But on the other hand, I'm almost already exhausted talking about it. Believe me. Oh yeah, we're spoiling you, really. Yeah. yeah. Um. That's okay, we're going to have like 10 when it comes time for Daredevil Season 3. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Exponential increase. Yeah. I'm already, yeah. it's like, how many, you know, what? We do one review? I mean, like, no. Okay, sorry. For, I'm not sure if it was an overarching theme uh, mm-hmm. for the season, but definitely... Um, I finally stood up and applauded Danny when he said the stuff he did about how he didn't know what exactly the Iron Fist was. So I'm not sure if I would correlate mm. kind of that stuff with privilege um, or not. I guess that's probably the closest thing I would sure. relate that to. Um, but that that was only the last couple of episodes. Not really anything stood out prior to that, at least to me, I guess. Right. I mean, he did kind of cite like uh, his little underground bunker where he kept... Uh, I guess like punching the wall and like uh, citing that as like his um 
his reason for giving it up. Full spoilers for the season, by the way, in case oh, it yeah, wasn't obvious. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't yeah. say that before. I just thought it would be assumed. It, work it into the to the article read. Oh, sure. Sorry, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, another... I'm not sure if you had... I think you might have had this on the list. Another mm-hmm. um, theme, if you will, is kind of the whole family dynamic. Obviously, the Lithral mm, okay. family with mm-hmm. uh, Joy and Ward. Um, yep. But then you have... Danny and Davos, and Davos essentially has mommy problems, if you can call it that. Um, Ward and, full spoilers, Ward and (laughs) his child. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah, hell yeah, I totally forgot about that. Ward Jr. Um, But yeah, I would say that's a, that's a, that was another huge part of it too. And that, with that aspect of it, I almost had a, uh, I did have a tough time kind of looking at Davos as the villain. That is until he punched that dude's stomach out. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, that poor man. It, I'll, I'll get into my thoughts on that later. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I mean, just because that, you know, it's it was almost a, a Thanos, not Thanos-esque, I guess. Hmm. But uh, to begin with, you kind of saw where Davos was coming from, I guess. It yeah. was like a killmonger. Like yeah, me, yeah which, exactly. Right. It was one of those where, oh, I'm feeling, I mean, like, this isn't a bad guy. This isn't a bad guy. They they had to do the bad guy moment, back to my mm-hmm. first time on this podcast. Yeah, they had to do a specific yeah. bad guy moment to make it clear that he's the villain. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a very good analogy. Uh, Rhiannon, anything else? And I guess we're just kind of moving on to you. Like, what did, uh, other, other, uh, themes, any other, like, do you think you can sum it up in a word? Like, the the word I just kept thinking was destiny, but I thought it was just kind of too generic, but it, it, it did kind of apply here. (laughs) Any thoughts on... Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. You know, like I, I sometimes have to remind myself that I did enjoy the first season. Like, <laughs> that bad, but you know, it, it's about you know they 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 sat down and they they took Danny and they uh-huh. they made him a person that checked his privilege and that understood you know why what he did was horrible. They took Colleen and had her finding her way back home or, you know, to finding more about who she was and shaping her way back to being a warrior, which she was when we first met her. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know about Davos, you know, like Davos, to me, he felt like an obligatory bad guy. Like, yeah, they had huh. to punch that stomach out for him to be a bad guy. Um <laughs> right. All right, I'll I'll share later. But he had potential <laughs> to be a good guy. Jeez. Um, if he wasn't, you know, if we didn't have to have a villain of the season, mm-hmm. there was. Um, and then Mary Walker. You know, I, I, I still, I have my own theories on Mary. Yeah. And that, and that, at this point, she's just a tertiary character, and that when that, or, she's just a side character. And when that third altar comes out, that's the villain. Mm. Yeah, this was just like a, a Typhoid Mary uh, prologue, I guess. Um, 
Odd place to put that, but we can talk about that later. I was about to say, now I've said everything, I should just log off. There's <laughs> I'm, I'm really hoping they directly copy the plot of Split and have the third altar have superpowers. That's my... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not definitely. It's definitely not a film you want to. I mean, I, I liked and loved Split, but I it it, it didn't. Uh, it could have used some more consultation on that uh, realm. But um, I, I really like the concept, Rhiannon, of like uh, finding your place because um, and and I kind of talked about it in my piece. Like you, they are all um, they're all born in a certain place in a certain position to kind of inherit something. You know, like. Danny is like born into wealth. Colleen is born, I not born to the hand, but that's where she is when we first see her. Um, Davos is born, like kind of expecting this, like this obligation, like this uh, entitlement of the Iron Fist. Um, and they all kind of figure out at the end that they all have to um, kind of forge their own path at the end. Like you have Danny and Ward literally traveling around the world, which I think is a cool concept. Like just trying to figure stuff out, which I think is a really cool thing. And you have Colleen. Um, you know, she has the, she hung up the sword, she hung up the katana, and she's kind of trying to fight her destiny, and at the end, she, she just has to kind of embrace it, uh, which I thought was a, a nice little arc. I mean, I thought that, like, the whole box, uh, element, I think that was kind of stretched out because she's like, she has the box, and that, we kind of forget about the box for the whole time, and then... But what can you do? You know, that, that that makes sense at the end. Like, she was trying to avoid it, you know? Um, uh, yeah, Thomas, talk about talk about uh, punching people in the stomach. <laughs> oh, I was going to give my thoughts on the overall themes of the episode. Oh, sure, whatever. <laughs> dive into those weeds a little later on. Um, yeah. I, I think that for me, the, the biggest overarching theme, and this might be too big, is is just that it the season heavily encouraged um, not taking the easy, obvious solution to problems. Mm. Um, and I, I think that it, it did a lot of work to showcase how making peace between the triads was like difficult and frustrating and there were steps forward and back. Um, oh, sure. But just outright solving the problem with violence, which seems to be the easy, obvious solution, is wrong. Um, I think in certain ways, ignoring um her destiny like colleen was sort of doing maybe not the easy thing but like the easiest simplest thing which is like just stay out of it and that's not the right solution and i think that if we're going to make it a metaphor um the first season of iron fist was the easy obvious solution just make it as fast (laughs) as possible copying everything they could from the comics and uh, the second season, they had to do more work. They put more thought into it. They really they they made some of this difficult character work actually make it into the season. Um, so yeah. There's my there's my overhaul. And I, I I thought that Davos made a fantastic villain in the sense that um, he was one of the most like sympathetic. Not in that like I wanted to go out and kill people, but like <laughs> I understood where he was coming from every step of the way because he was right. sort of doing the the fish out of water thing, which like in some cases is funny. It's like Thor smashing the glass on the ground. But for Davos, it's like he comes out of a place where there are these certain ideals and those ideals don't apply to our society the same way. Mm -hmm. And he's sort of like super powerful and mismatched with the scenario, the setting that he's in. And you sort of see the non hilarious awkwardness of that. Yeah, I mean, Thor throws a cup to the ground, and Davos has to onset a uh, sex scandal 
uh, you know, same thing. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. like... <laughs> I really um, thought he was going to kill her during that scene. I was, I was really sure that was going to happen. Yeah, that was. I was surprised, like just how tense that was. Um, I, 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 the entire time watching season two, I was like, this doesn't feel. This barely feels like season one. So you talk about the idea of season one uh, going the easy way. You know, I, I feel that um, there wasn't a lot of character and I don't mean like the literal characters but I mean just like the tone and the atmosphere of season 1 you know there wasn't really a sense of place the way that all of the other Netflix shows that I cited kind of do you know um not a lot of interesting things with color or uh set design you know say for like maybe one or two scenes uh you know I always keep talking about that RZA directed episode uh <laughs> but um I think you know we, no more corporate boardroom scenes uh, no Rand Enterprise <laughs> stuff. Um, instead, uh, it's a little more intimate. We have Danny Rand, like, moving, uh, you know, moving boxes in, in Chinatown. So, um, you know, I was listening to last week's, uh, Marvel News Desk, and, uh, I think it was Caleb who said something along the lines of, like, oh, Chinatown feels like the character in this season. It feels like to Iron Fist Season 2 as, um... Harlem West and Luke Cage, and then uh, I, I think both you, uh, Adam and Rianne, and I think you're both kind of stating like this kind of tiredness of gang warfare, <laughs> of like you know just kind of insert ethnicity here, and then it's just gangs like I don't know, getting in gun and stabbing matches. Um, is that did that kind of do you feel that um because that that was the focus of that that was like the uh, the inciting incident of the entire season. So, did you feel like it negatively impacted your viewing of the show, or did they eventually like find something worth uh, in the midst of all of that? If either of you wanted to uh, pick up on that, um, I'm tired of that stuff. Go ahead, <laughs> Rihanna. No, I'll let Rihanna go if she has. Her. I mean, to your question, I mean, to just not make this another podcast where Adam and I talk about how much how tired we are of gang warfare, but. Mm-hmm. They did move it on to something else. And I think if you talk to, you know, if you watched people's reactions to the shows, when it became about something else other than the triad wars and the tigers yeah. versus the whatevers, um, that's when a lot of the fans also enjoyed the series more. Interesting. And, I mean, maybe. Knock on I, doors. I didn't want a scientific <laughs> pool or anything. You see what you want to see. I. I guess I'll I'll go ahead and be the dissenting opinion. I sort of liked the triad stuff, um, not because I'm super into more gangs and stuff like that, but uh, the way that they played it was less of um, like fighting off the gangs and more like there was an acceptance very early on that like the Hatchet Men would stay and the Golden Tigers would stay, and they're just trying to negotiate like the terms of that arrangement, and it it felt very much like a different take on gang warfare. Like, they weren't trying to fight the gang members, um, and I liked that, and I also felt like it was much more in keeping with my ignorant conception of uh, in Eastern philosophy, which was more about, like, balance and, like, you know, different forces, like, not a, a static balance, but, like, a dynamic balance between these different factions instead of, like, trying to wipe them all out. Um, I thought that it, it played really well in that context, and you, you contrasted very nicely with, with Dallas later on 
who like did what maybe we wanted Danny to do, like just fight the problem away so we don't have to sit in more like conference rooms. But um, like we got sort of as an audience got shown the error of our ways with that wish fulfillment. So I don't sure, know. I mean, I feel that in lieu of conference boardrooms, like we just got like. And this is a problem with Netflix, Marvel in general, but just <laughs> warehouses. Everything's in a warehouse and uh, or, or like in the docks at night with all these shipping crates. Like that's literally every single action sequence in this damn sub franchise. But, uh, you know, I digress. Like, you know, they're filming in New York. So I guess that's like, you know, like what else can they take advantage of? Like with the scenarios they come up with. Um, I, well, it's important to remember that they filmed in New York this past winter mm. oh and if you yeah. remember this past winter it was like nine degrees for months <laughs> on end so yeah. i actually heard i mean i i actually heard that the writers were trying to find every way to keep things inside oh man. yeah so, yes uh, they have new york and they're gonna do you stuff don't understand outside. how used to the cold danny has become <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um so the uh, yeah, I think the warehouses and stuff. You, I think if you start looking at it, I mean, I, I look at stupid stuff like that all the time. <laughs> like Jessica Jones has a lot of outdoor scenes. Mm-hmm. Like they go out to these fields and stuff. And Iron Fist is like all inside. Mm. It's the time of year they recorded mm. or they filmed. Yeah, I mean, Rhiannon, you could just look out your window and there's Daredevil right there, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not right now, <laughs> or I wouldn't be podcasting. That yeah. would be a guest on this podcast. Yeah. Oh my! Yeah, an, uh, an on-field yeah. reporter, uh, <laughs> basically. Um, compared to the hand, I mean, how did you feel about the threat in this season versus last season? I don't think I ever took the hand as a serious <laughs> opponent. I right. guess I, it just seems like. It just seems like they're kind of the organization with so many mm-hmm. people. It's almost too much, mm-hmm. you know. Th- until the defenders, which, um, yeah, until the defenders, it didn't really have a face, right? And even then, when the defenders came about, they barely kind of had a face. I mean, that, that's kind of um, MacGuffin esque, isn't that? Because, like, like by definition, MacGuffin is like it's a thing that everyone needs. You don't know exactly why. But it's the thing that's driving the yeah. plot because they need it. It's like with the hand, you know they have to beat the hand, but you don't really know why they have to beat the hand. They just have to beat the hand. <laughs> but but I mean, but in season one of Iron Fist, the hand was interesting. Mm-hmm. They were a scary opponent. There mm-hmm. there was a little bit of mystery and fear from the unknown. Like mm-hmm. they like you said, they don't really exist. They're, I mean, or they do really exist, but we you know you don't. <laughs> There's a lot of unknowns about them. You don't know why they're scary, but they brought that man back from the dead. Right. And True. they had, like, whatever spy power to keep an eye on him. Right. And I... there was a lot of stuff associated with that that made them very fearful. Like, when I think of season two, I'm like, okay, there were triad wars, and Davos punched a guy's stomach. Yeah, and you don't, you don't actually see the effects that the, uh, that the gang war in season two actually has on the community. So it's really just like it, it. It doesn't. At some point, it doesn't feel like he, uh, Danny and Colleen are actually defending the community. It feels like they're just um, stopping all of the gang members from being brutally murdered. Uh, that was just my view on that. Thomas, what you're about yeah. to say? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, to that point, I think um, if the season had had a longer episode count, 
the best use of that extra time would have been them just sort of like chilling with members of Chinatown and like because Luke Cage does a lot of hanging out in the barber shop or like yeah. talking to people on the street and like then you get the sense of the sort of community yeah. and how people yeah. are reacting and stuff like that. I think it was just too tight of a, a season, which I, I liked action-wise, um, but I think they didn't have the time to really embed Chinatown as a character the way that Harlem is for, for Luke Cage. Yeah, not not um, to mention, like, um, Harlem felt off that, like, you know, they had their, like, real-life um, figures, like, you know, Dapper Dan came in and gave Luke Cage, like, a slick new suit, and, um, yeah. you know, they're, yeah, like you said, the barbershop, they're talking about real-life things, and then you have musical performances from, like, real people like real recognizable people yeah. and it, it just really um uh it, it feels like it's taking it's kind of taking you on a journey like through this very real place unlike you know daredevil like i keep talking about daredevil having like this very um exaggerated like <laughs> like a war zone depiction of hell's kitchen uh and you know like yeah iron fist i mean i feel like they they could have done something more with the community center or, you know, just, like, yeah, have Danny at the streets and, like, just, like, uh, relating to people, uh, but it's... Yeah. it's... I, I mean, on that vein, like, if you take that very, very first scene where mm-hmm. he's standing up against the armored car, if you had just had the very first, the very first few seconds be Danny standing over a dead teenager. Right. You know, yeah, a teenager that had been caught up in a battle, and you see a little bit of the death of that teenager, and then he goes and he beats up an armored car, then it wouldn't just feel like he was beating up an armored car. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and I, I feel like they kind of held back on any kind of stuff like that until um, until BB, like, just abruptly died in the last episode, or the second to last yeah. episode, rather. Um, yeah. So, it, that's... <laughs> I don't know. I I admit they did a they did a good job of pulling my heartstrings on that particular move because that was clearly like the intended focus was like oh shit now they killed this guy that like but we have gotten to see him throughout the season we've seen like the conflict he went through like we mm-hmm. got to be like yeah when he made the choice to be good and mm-hmm. confront his old and then he just dies yeah. and that's like genuinely shocking yeah. i don't think iron fist season one was capable of that kind of emotional manipulation of the audience <laughs> i don't think they had the tools available to them to make us feel things so yeah. i thought that that was cool even if it was maybe a little late yeah crazy brainwashed kids uh speaking of brainwashed yeah, kids that one dude is weird. yeah <laughs> yeah um <laughs> so uh talking about the action sequences in this show um they Made a bigger deal out of the action this time around. They had a uh, stunt coordinator. Uh, what was his name? Clayton Barber. Yeah, and they they even had a video of him like uh, giving pointers to Danny and like whoever his uh, scene partner was in that uh, one sequence that they were filming. And uh, it, it really felt like they were just putting up a giant neon sign like, "Hey, the action sequences are actually good in this season this time around." Uh, yeah, and um, you know, definitely the the Crane Sisters fight. I think it's one that you guys talked yeah. about in your podcast. Yeah, uh, was one that um, stood out. Um, were there any other action sequences uh, just going around the room that kind of stood out to people in that way? So, uh, so I mean, right out of the gates, that armored car scene. There, he was like, uh, he crouches on top, and the score does like a I don't like a chime. I don't know what it was a chime, maybe or I don't. It just sure. made it feel kind of like a 
very pulpy type. Mm. Um, but the first time I was like, damn, holy shit, this, this action is <laughs> actually is better. Was yeah. that kitchen, the yeah. kitchen scene? I think it was episode two or three. Oh maybe. yeah. Um, yeah. they're, yeah, they're having dinner and they're talking about, I don't know, shrimp egg rolls yeah. or something. Yeah. And then they fight the golden tigers in the kitchen, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think Colleen like pulls out a chain or there's a chain involved and she starts using it. I'm like, damn, mm-hmm. okay, this this is all right. You know? Yeah, definitely um, better use of like the environment, you know. Like that's definitely a yes. thing about the Crane Sister fight. Like everyone was just using the tools around them and at some point they were just like yeah. wailing on each other with stuff. And had, there was like a very good sense of like the, the environment that they were inhabiting. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, sure. Can I degrade okay. the the quality of discussion for just a sec to go on a quick tirade? Yeah, yeah. The guy in the kitchen who uses the chain, he's one of like the kids who are like out on their luck, like BB's group. Um, and in like that first scene in the kitchen, he like throws the chain, and Colleen just like reaches up, catches it, and then like beats him up. And I'm like, yeah, the chain was a stupid weapon. And he keeps using it the entire season, all the way until that last episode where Colleen's taking them all on, and he's still got his chain. I'm like, the commitment to his tool is incredible. The, the, chain, every be- defeat. the chain belonged to his dead grandfather, Thomas. It's, it's, I want to believe that it has that kind of sentimental value, because any logical person would have picked up another weapon after that many humiliating defeats. I mean, um, wasn't it? He was um, getting better. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying, okay. No, I loved it. It added character to like this dude who's like just the chain guy. Like he'd clearly carved out his niche and was not willing to part with it. I mean, didn't Jessica Henwick like play uh, like in the Sand Sister in Game of Thrones who like used a whip against like sword people? <laughs> I never. I- I've watched Game of Thrones. Oh, uh, she she had a whip when everyone else had like a dagger or sword, and she was like fighting. Like, well, that's how she died at the end because she was using a whip. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, Rhiannon, before you were rudely interrupted by this tirade, I, I'm, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I mean, the the Crane Sisters. Or, yeah, you know the the badass lady fight. Oh yeah, love those ladies. Um, that was that was just really nice mm-hmm. to see all of that happen, and I liked the Crane Sisters. I didn't want Colleen and Misty to be beating them up. Yeah, um, <laughs> can't they all just I needed get them to punch somebody through the stomach, so mm. I knew they were bad guys. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, like, like sequences like that. There were definitely, um, you know, there was that infamous clip of. Uh, what was it like? Thirty-eight uh, cuts, like during this very short scene in uh, season one, or I forget the exact number. But uh, a lot of it was more coherent. A lot of the, um, a lot of the hits, like, really registered better. I feel like that's definitely a part of that. Um, and I don't know. It it just it was just presented better. Um, I can't really remember a single sequence from season one besides, like, um, maybe the part when Danny saves Joy and, like, they go in the elevator, and that was only because it was, like, edited in this very stylistic way. Um, and I liked conceptually the, um, the Bakudo-Colleen fight at the end because it was, like, it was a cool setup, but it's, it's raining, you know, and they have, like... 
uh, katanas, and it's like kind of this wirefu kind of thing, but it ended so quickly that I just kind of forgot about it immediately. Um, honestly, I felt like the Crane Sisters fight was really the only one that stood out to me. I would have thought that the like the ritual fight between Danny and Davos, like the flashback where they're just all bloody by the end. Um, I I thought it was segmented in a way that, like, it just didn't impact me, you know? Uh, did you have any thoughts on that, Thomas? Yeah, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of their flashback fight. Um, I felt (laughs) like they, they went from the very start to them being kind of already bloody and tired and, and beaten. Yeah. And they correctly portrayed two exhausted individuals, but that does not make for a good fight scene. (laughs) Um... For for me, action wise, uh, right at that first like armored car fight, I could tell. I was like watching it. And I was like, all right, this isn't like blockbuster quality, but I can already tell yeah. this is better. I mean, yeah. from the very first fight scene, and then I really enjoyed when um, uh, when Walker took down Danny in the the subway. Their fight sequence was not necessarily like the greatest kung fu fight sequence, but sure. I liked the way that two very different fighters played off of each other there. Yeah, um, and it seemed well that. choreographed to me. Yeah. So, like that, I I really enjoyed. Yeah, um, definitely a thing about um having different characters with different backgrounds, from like Walker and Davos and uh, and Misty. You know, um, they all all the choreography comes from character, and that was I think uh, that was something really big about Captain America: Civil War, because you had you had Cap, you had Iron Man, you had widow and black panther and like just from like their stances just from the how the way they would move they all they were all very distinct and i just kind of like that attention to detail um so yeah i don't know that 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 flashback fight um um like you can't expect every fight sequence to be like a jackie chan fight sequence you know i've been uh i follow edgar wright on twitter and he's just been posting jackie chan uh gifts like for like a week now and just kind of watching how um there, and there's a great every frame of painting about this like just how he kind of uses the environment around him like he might use like you know a table or a ladder or whatever like that is and the cool element i thought uh with that flashback sequence was like the the cloth uh, yeah. that connected their arms together. And I kind of, that's why I wanted to see the whole fight, like, unerotic because I just wanted to see how they would use that. And then Davos just kind of rips it. It's like, okay, sure. And now they're just all spitting blood and looking gross. <laughs> uh, because it, I think it is possible to have, like, like, if you've seen Atomic Blonde, there's that sequence at the end of the second act where, like, Charlie's Theron and the other guy are just, like, wailing at each other and they're just taking whatever they can and just smacking each other in the face and they're actually just like stumbling around but there's a there's a there's like tension when you're like seeing someone like <laughs> reach their hand for something um so yeah i mean the action was overall better but um to me there wasn't any there wasn't any daredevil season one hallway fight uh, anyone agree or disagree with that? <laughs> uh, or there wasn't a hallway fight in season one either, was there? The, uh, <laughs> the one when they're getting in the elevator was literally a hallway fight. Uh, sure. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. It's the only one you remember. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Fist season one with the hatchet men? Like, the first yeah, time with, we meet them. Yeah. Outside of yeah, yeah. outside of yeah, yeah. yeah, Joy's apartment. 
God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you had that. I, there was a fun fight where Colleen was in the kitchen and Danny's like outside trying to distract the people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the fun of that, but as far as the high tension, oh my God, who's going to win? hallway type yeah and i think that hallway it's an escalation it's a goal you're fighting to get somewhere yeah and that's um that's that's why it works so well Mm -hmm. but this season i didn't feel like i feel like they were more emotional battles there was a lot of action but not so much like fighting to get through somewhere yeah like fighting with purpose i think is the the phrase people like to use um i yeah i i I can't expect every uh netflix season to be to have like an old boy scene like that's just too unfair to ask i think um but I don't know. I would have thought like with the uh, the emphasis on hey, we we have good action now. I I I was surprised there wasn't like a centerpiece moment, you know. But uh, you know, I guess that's forgivable because we seem to like the story overall, which at the end is what really matters. But uh, I do distinctly remember um, I think it was the second to last episode when Davos is like infiltrating the community center, and the the hatchet dude like decides to hold him off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he takes out his hatchet, and I was like, oh, and. Uh, Here's what I, here was my mindset. I was like, oh, this reminds me of the raid two when there was like this really brutal kitchen scene, and like you know that the good guy's gonna win, but like it's like this very long, extended, like escalating, bloody fight scene, and then this one this <laughs> was less than a minute, and I was okay, poor dude. I I know he was just a minor character whose name I don't even remember, but like Ooh. man, that dude seems so ready. Up, I was ready. Yeah, exactly. They, like, uh, built him up to be, like, he was always ready to take on yeah. Danny Rand. Even when he was the Iron Fist, he was fearless, he was savage, like, he's like, let me at him. And then he's killed by his own hatchet ten seconds. Yeah, that was like Indiana Jones uh, shooting the guy when he was swinging the sword around. That's basically what that was. Uh, and he's not even the only person to be killed by his own hatchet in that season. He's, like, the third one. You guys should really think this whole hatchet concept, if you they ask me. get a different uh, gang. The chains. The chain gang. The, oh. Everyone uses chains. <laughs> it's the Netflix universe. Everybody should just go by their nationality. <laughs> I thought... The I mean, Russians? I, even in Chinatown, I mean, I realize in Chinatown, you can't have the Chinese versus the, Chinese. the Chinese versus... But you could have the Western Chinese versus the Eastern Chinese versus, you know, I don't know my provinces or anything. Oh, but. sure. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe there's some Vietnamese or whatever. And, mm. I mean, everybody must be racially profiled for their gangs. Yeah. What? <laughs> they <laughs> sort of tried, right? I mean, like, so in uh, Daredevil season one, there were, like, the Russian brothers, and they had all Russian people working yeah, Well, that's what them. I'm saying. Like, that's what I'm saying. The Netflix universe, every yeah. every game yeah. should just be based on their the Irish. Because... Yeah, you've had the Irish, you've had the Russians up in Hel- up up in Luke Cage. You had the Italians. You've had. Um, it's true. The bikers. It it goes, but the bikers were um, the dogs yeah, of hell. Anyways. But the dogs of hell were yeah. like the Irish, or there's the Irish, anyways. Yeah. So 
the hatchet gang should have just gone with their um nationality or their slightly racially insensitive <laughs> label and they didn't and therefore they got attacked by their own hatchets yes i think that's the yeah i thought this season was gonna have more guns because danny finally has a way he showed at the end of season one he <laughs> can like block bullets with his yeah. fist and I was like, okay, so now, because nobody had a gun in season one. I was like, where the fuck are all the guns? I was like, where are all the guns? And then uh, in season two, I'm like, yes, all right, we can do it now. We can have guns. And they were like, still no guns. I was like, oh. Like, Davos had the dual fist. He's sort of like Wonder Woman's, like, those yeah. bullets, you know? That would have been a cool image. That would have uh... been dope. <laughs> I... All right. Yeah. But anyway, they, to, to Do you think they avoided yeah. the guns because they introduced Luke Cage in the meantime? And if there had been a lot of guns, mm. we would have expected Luke Cage to come down there. Yeah, and uh, Luke Cage just had a different headspace at this point. Uh, I, I don't know how that would have worked. I think that's out of scope for the for the episode. But yeah, that was a weird season. Yeah, yeah but to, to sum up, um, uh, Iron Fist, like the Netflix Marvel universe, is just a giant race war, right? Like it's just. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Pretty much. That's New York City, right? In, in real life, right? Rhiannon, you can confirm. <laughs> what? That uh, New York City is just full of race wars just all around the open. <laughs> you know, I have to say, Netflix very poorly prepared me for women in New York City. I expected gang wars. Racially insensitive gang wars. Yeah, right. So, I have been so let down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to... Uh... uh Rhiannon, since we're, already ta- since we're already talking to you, can you talk to us about your... Talk to us about the timeline of figuring out that Mary Walker was going to be in this show and trying to, like, knowing what you know about her from the comics, just trying to figure out what her role would be in the show to actually watching her in the show and just how you kind of came out of that. What did you think about all of that? So, um, I've always been a fan of Typhoid Mary. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm a Gemini. (laughs) <laughs> it it fits my brand. Um, for those that don't know their astrological signs, Gemini's are considered like multi personalities, the twins. Um, I was the second person at San Diego Comic Con, possibly the first, but I didn't yell it out. I instead yelled expletives <laughs> to catch what Jeff Loeb was talking about. If I had been the first, I would have gotten to kiss Alice Eve. I didn't know that. I probably would have shouted Typhoid Mary instead of holy shit. <laughs> um, when I made the realization. <laughs> but anyways, there was... Um, I, I, I was a little hesitant when I found out that Typhoid Mary was going to be in Iron Fist. And hesitant going into it because I had no idea how they were going to tie that in. Um, I, you know, Iron Fist, you have your martial arts and you have your triad gang wars and your dragons and all of that. So I didn't know how this uh, person with disassociative identity disorder Mm -hmm. was going to fit into that universe. And I was really scared that they were going to have, that they were going to have your martial arts davos whatever over here and then they were going to have their corporate warfare joy and ward and mary over here and that the two wouldn't intersect well so they avoided that they tied her in beautifully 
they evolved her character. Her character is way more sane than I expected. I thought there would be a little <laughs> bit of a culturally insensitive approach to DID. I thought they would make her a little bit campy crazy. And they didn't. So I think they did a great job. I love her character. I want to be friends with her. I think I tweeted <laughs> about that this past week. Like, I want to be friends with Walker, not Mary. Like, Mary, whatever. Hmm. Go write your poetry. Draw your pictures. <laughs> I might put your art on my wall. I want to be friends with Walker. And I think that might be why I have, why, why I'm single guys that's um, <laughs> i don't trust my own judgment <laughs> so um yeah I, I but what i hinted to earlier i think we did see that per i i my theory is we very briefly saw that third personality there is one fight where she just goes crazy and at the end of it walker just sort of is there and it's a slight moment of seeming disoriented and not entirely sure what just happened Which and i'm fight? i don't remember <laughs> i i was okay. re-watching it's somewhere in the middle of the series i i think it's um somewhere where she's fighting a bunch of people which doesn't happen a lot i don't think and I just, when I was re-watching, I wasn't really paying attention to the fight, but at the end of it, I was watching her expressions, and she came out of it, and it was just, like, this little moment of, what just happened? And I wonder mm. if we did see that third altar. That third altar came out, Ooh. did the fight, and then very quickly snapped back to Walker. Yeah. Or if we did, I mean, you know, I was looking for it. It was my second watching. So, um... I liked the twist with the third altar. It was slow. I don't, you know, maybe they didn't do the best with it, but overall, I like her as a character. Yeah, um, definitely Alice Eve did a, uh, uh, a pretty nuanced performance, I thought, because even, like, you know, I, I walked in this uh, show not knowing anything about a comic backstory. I didn't know about the DID aspect of it. I might have read it on Wikipedia once, but I totally forgot about it. But just, just from her first interactions with Danny, like, I think I... I was saying on Twitter, I was like, oh, this feels really off, but, you know, later on I figured out that was by design. Um, and, I'll, and I... It, it became fairly obvious, even without any exposition or, like, uh, Joy just finding a piece of paper on a shelf, like, that, um, that, that there was some sort of personality disorder in play here. Um, so, um... You know, I, I I've had many qualms with like how mental health has been depicted in me. I just saw the I just saw the Predator by Shane Black, <laughs> and that okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not gonna talk about the Predator too much. You can just read my Destructoid review of that because it it totally does not understand autism at all. But um, um, I don't know. It, it felt like a better attempt. Um, I was surprised that they brought back like I think I want to say uh. Like the therapist or psychiatrist or whoever she was, uh, Mary was talking to. What I think that was the guy from the mental hospital in season one. Was it really? I think it was. It's all connected. And Th Thomas, like you and I, we have a big problem with that episode. For sure, right? for sure. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I that's super cool if that's the case. They're keeping continuity like beyond. I would say that we're pretty big fans of Marvel and Marvel Netflix. Like, we're up there. And, like, sure. 
I, I don't even think most of people at our level of fandom noticed that connection. So I'm, <laughs> I'm I like it when it the show exceeds because... our own expertise. Because we haven't checked this, have we? That's true. That's all right. That's this is a good um, one. I'm 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 absolutely sure it was the guy because I remember he was in the season one recap that Netflix shows. Anyway, back to Mary Walker. Um, speaking of reappearing in other shows, I mean, where does Mary Walker go next from here? Do you guys think like is it going to be in Iron Fist season three? Or are they going to like kind of? Float her around the other shows. Is she gonna have a run in with Punisher? Is she gonna? I don't. I I haven't seen any of Daredevil season three yet, but apparently some people here have. But uh, no comment. I don't know. Thoughts talk to me about the future of Mary Walker. Oh, she shows up and she has lots of sex with Daredevil in a hallway. Okay. Always <laughs> Exclusive right here. And next um, frontier of the Marvel. Network. We're gonna break embargo here, but okay. Uh, <laughs> Daredevil season three is all about hallway sex. Um, Matt and Foggy, Matt and Mary, Matt and Father oh, Lantham. Yeah, it gets no. really. It's weird. actually just eyes wide Not shot, man. but it's it's in a hallway instead. Um, yeah, yeah. Wait till you hear our interview with Chris Brewster about <laughs> <laughs> how he coordinated how it's done. Yes. Can oh, we actually? Lord. This is a tangent, and it's. I know it's not on your list of topics. But while we're in the Great. area, there were multiple <laughs> sex scenes in Iron Fist Season 2, and they all had vastly different, like, ways they were meant to come off. Because um, we had, like, uh, Danny and Colleen that was meant to be, like, a wholesome, loving relationship at the start. Sure. Um, we had Davos and his... Uh, whatever yeah. was yeah. happening there. Ward with his <laughs> benefactor. By the way, these are yeah. all, like, with it... These are three in three episodes. So they were they were averaging pretty strong towards the beginning of the season. <laughs> and I was sort of wondering like where they were gonna take that theme of, of like the different place of sexuality in people's lives and they dropped it immediately. But that I felt like that was starting to be a thing. I I wouldn't call that its own thing. I mean it's a, it to me it's just like a way of like conveying uh character traits, you know? Like just the way that like Davos approached that, like very specifically with uh physicality you know like that said a lot about his character and like um you know just the lack of intimacy that he's had all his life probably like being in kun lung and um uh <laughs> i don't wait danny and colleen had a who cares anyway uh <laughs> yeah I, I i don't remember any of the sex scenes they were not remember super memorable <laughs> the yeah the ward one stands out because i didn't see oh, yeah, it coming okay. Whatsoever, yeah. just well, they went in the like, closet. Yeah, what the shit? Yeah, <laughs> they had like genuine exposition during that sex scene, and I was like, they're going full Game of Thrones on us here. <laughs> when they need to tell us That's something about what's been happening friend. in between seasons, they just yeah. do it during a sex scene. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So Mary Walker probably got to come back soon. <laughs> Well, I mean, she, that's one thing I've been thinking about that since I saw you put this in the show notes. Um, I There's no character, there are no villains that have, other than the hand, maybe Madame Gal, if we call her a villain. Mm. The hand is the only place where we've had any sort of crossover between these series. You know, Killmonger didn't get a chance to play with any of the other kids. 
Um, none of Luke Cage's villains. Luke Cage has had, like, some of the villainiest villains that are, like, very clearly um, out there and sinister or whatever, and they haven't, you know, crossed into, they haven't crossed past Midtown. They, we haven't had any of that. I mean, I, maybe one day Melvin Potter will go all gladiator on these guys, but hmm. maybe Mary, I mean, I would love nothing more than Mary Walker to show up in Daredevil. I can neither confirm nor deny that it happens sure. in the six press screeners, but if it did, I would be very excited. Right. Like, theoretically, like, that will be like, that will make the most sense, right? Out of any of the potential appearances. I totally want Walker. In the comics, Mary hooks up with Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. And the the typhoid personality is hired by Fisk to help make his life mm. miserable. The typhoid at one ah. point in the comics in Born Again, the typhoid personality sets Matt's hair on fire. <laughs> And there's, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of cool stuff, but I would love to see Matt and Walker in a relationship. I don't think Walker would go for a relationship, but I think Matt Murdock might not either. So, you know, the two of them just having sex in a bathroom. Yeah. And then hair on fire. Yeah. And then hair on fire. I I want it even more now. I want to direct, like, page-to-screen, like, frame-by-frame adaptation of whatever that must look like. And then Mary... Mary will date Luke Cage, so they're all... She's the connective tissue between the shows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it it all makes perfect sense. Um, So since you guys haven't read the Hair on Fire scene, (laughs) it starts with Mary walking up singing Monday, Monday. Oh. And then Matt Murdock's there, and she says, I've always wanted to tell you this. Burn! And then he catches on fire. Wow. So, that's why I can I, imagine like, that. Watching the yeah. show when she started humming Monday, Monday, I was like, oh my god! Uh, <laughs> wow, that's kind of cool. If we see Charlie Cox at uh, New York Comic Con, I'm just going to start seeing that. <laughs> if? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no, you're going to make that happen, obviously. But, uh... <laughs> Uh, Adam, any any uh, Mary Walker thoughts before we move on to the non? We can do either Meachums or Colleen next, but uh, any Mary Walker thoughts? No, not particular. Rhiannon pretty much summed it up. Though my my one gripe was that at the end of the screener episodes we got, we initially got just the first six episodes, and I was still yeah, that's weird. I was still, um, I guess, not sure about her um, mm-hmm. through that point. But as the the season did wrap up, I did warm up to her a lot more, especially since it got into her backstory and origin, yeah. if you will, and Sokovia and things oh. of that nature. Yeah. Meachums. Uh, Adam, talk about the Meachums. Yeah. I can't get enough. The dude Tom Pelfrey killed it this year. I thought he was one of the bright spots in season one and this season. It's just he had incredible range, you know. I'm he gave us a new a new gif we can use with the not only was he sitting down flipping his group <laughs> off, but he did the legs cross totally like yeah, business yeah. casual type flip off, which was grand. 
Um, but he, <sighs> he would go from one one episode, he would be making us laugh, and then he'd be going into, then he kind of had that monologue with Joy about how he absorbed yeah. all of his dad's yeah. abuse so his dad yeah. wouldn't, you know, release it on her. Um, and that was pretty deep and touching. Um, Joy was good. I mean, I, I'm not sure what it was. I thought she did a much better job in season one. I'm not sure. I I don't think she particularly stood out this year. Um, I don't know. That, that part of it kind of seemed messy with me. Um, yeah, to be honest, I don't really remember too many things that Joey did in that uh, first season of Iron Fist. I mean, there was a little plot point with, uh, I guess, the M&Ms to help figure out Danny's identity. But besides that, uh, she was uh, damseled most of the time, I think, me. in season one. Um, so I felt that in season two, she actually yeah, she actually did more. things. Like, she had more agency. Um, and you can tell that she's a different character, like, just from her costume change. You know, like, I kind of compared it to uh, this one scene in Game of Thrones where, like, Santa Star kind of comes down and she she's dressed up in black and she's kind of indicating that she's now... Uh, a power player amongst all these men. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I, I thought that her dynamic with um, Ward was pretty interesting. Like, he talked a lot about um, Ward's little monologue uh, to her, and um, in, to some point, like, both siblings are kind of right. Like, even though he was trying to protect her, um, he was kind of uh, taking that choice away from her, you know? She was kind of, he, was ty- he was taking agency away from her. You know, so now she's just kind of like uh, fighting for her right to uh, be her own person, which I think is a a, a fine character arc. You know, um, but yeah, uh, Thomas Rhiannon, any other uh, additional uh, Meacham thoughts? Any Meacham discourse? Lots, lots of those. Um, I I am heavily in Adam's camp. I was a huge fan of Ward. Uh, my two possibly favorite moments of the season were. Uh, first of all, that conversation he has with Joy, where he's trying to explain this whole history, and she's sort of like feeling like it's it's too late. Um, and you can almost see how he's rehearsed this in his head. I mean, he's an actor, but like, you know, the character has thought about this moment so many times, and he's so frustrated that like when it actually happens, it's like the worst reaction he could have gotten, which is that like it's too late and that has already been blown. Um, and then the moment where <laughs> Typhoid Mary says, like, do you want your teeth ripped out of your skull? And he goes, no, I do not. Nobody wants their teeth ripped yeah. out of their skull. Had me on the ground laughing so hard. And my roommate came out and asked me what, and I reround it and played it. And he was like, you're insane. But I love Ford so much that that line really got me. Um, I thought he was he was a joy, and then I, I I kind of agree that um, Joy was she felt like a CW actor to me. Like I was getting strong Ooh. Black Canary vibes from her the whole time, where like I I wanted to like her, and I think she was really well written, but I felt like the actress played the like cunning and evil card a little too strong at the start. Um, where she had this whole vibe of like, I know something that you do not, and I'm presenting a front. Like, it it was just like very like an obvious uh sort of character choice that I I t- couldn't read into it. 
but I thought she did really well in the scenes where she was had sort of decided to turn on Davos and then came to his warehouse and was like had to keep up that front the entire time and like afraid for her life but having like show positivity I thought that her character really flourished in that scenario and then even after she's thrown off the balcony I think she did a great job of like being like fuck it like all the cards are on the table like fuck you fuck you um I thought that her character like only really came out there. well in, in Joy's offense I think the one um scene where she really came out was when she kind of uh orchestrated that sex scandal with the uh, the curator um and Davos like that that seems like something that uh she was pulling her knowledge from you know before like when she was just kind of a socialite when she was still with Rand Enterprises and uh for the first time I guess I got the sense it was the first time that this is the first time she used this information for something uh devious like she kind of took control of the situation um in terms of Joy infiltrating Davos's uh his warehouse I guess um that's where I kind of got lost with her because I felt that she was kind of telegraphing her um intent uh very obviously she's like you know trying to fit in and then she's like hmm, where's the ball and you know I I was very surprised that she wasn't thrown off the balcony earlier to be fairly honest Meacham Walker and Turk Barrett with you. Yeah. <laughs> let your sister call me. Yeah. Wait, no. I let your sister convince me you were a pussy or no. Your sister let me call you a pussy. I don't know. However it was, the pussy yes. scene, the pussy line was fantastic. Yeah, someone was nice to Turk Barrett for once. Dude, this is Turk Barrett's favorite season of Netflix by far. No he doubt. gave him go- he gave him golf swing advice. Yeah. Like that's a nice thing. But what I really Turk your that's true. Turk's now back into bad stuff. I mean, he went from the you know the drug well, trade or the gun trafficking. Luke to Cage destroyed his entire inventory. Go- yeah, some, yeah, destroys his inventory. So he's like, ah, Luke. Well, but Luke can destroy guns if he wants. But, he tried yeah. to go clean, and Tur- and Luke still came and like bashed up his shop. He now he goes dirty. He's selling guns again. He doesn't get punched once. True. Now he's helping him with his golf swing. Yeah. Uh, one more thing about Ward. Uh, just the fact that Ward and Danny are friends now. Yes. Yeah. Like they're. T- it was so nice. Yeah. They're yeah. just joking around. They were Carrying... very much brothers. I felt. Yes. Um, not like their personalities are not the type to get along. They have almost like a disdain mm-hmm. for one another's lifestyles, but they're like forced together by circumstance, and they have acknowledged that that's just they're just they're just together now. There's nothing they can do. Yeah, the moment Ward when when Danny asks Ward to come with him, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. This seems like it's almost too good to be true. You know, yeah. and then Ward actually decides to go. I think that was almost perfect because, I mean, thinking about Ward and the shitty situation he's in, it makes the perfect amount of sense that he would actually yeah. just up and leave with Danny. Yeah. You know, oh, and I'm man. like, man, this this is so good because uh, it, it just makes sense. I want to see that buddy trip movie. Do you think he's yes. teaching Danny to golf? <laughs> I hope so. I, I do not. Like, if uh, that's why I just want to see season three opens up with like Ward tr- trying to meditate or something and he gets too fidgety and 
freaks just, out. Imagine Danny with the iron. Oh, you know please. how the iron fist apparently empowers your weapons now? He's just got the golf yeah. ball oh, man. glowing yellow. <laughs> Raven, do not take any of this advice. <laughs> that's what I want from season three now. Um, I'm starting well, my wish yeah. list and that's on it. Yeah. Um, Chris, you wrote about how uh, Ward and Danny's oh, yeah. through the season were, in a sense, parallel in in terms of like realizing that they had not undergone a quest for identity, um, and then going on that quest together. I thought was was excellent and awesome, and uh, I thought that it was really cool when Danny's describing feeling the power of the dragon and how he he never uses the word addiction. Um, and Ward is just like, oh, I can connect with this crazy chi mm-hmm. thing that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, um, um, that was a cool. Moment yeah, the, the whole the whole concept of like they're they're kind of going through parallel journeys of like learning how to take care of themselves, and like you know, Ward had already like gone through all of his character development after season one. Like there's that scene that I I think I tweeted about it, where he's talking to I, I guess like his assistant, you know, the one who went to Wharton. And he kind of, like, fires off at her in, like, a very classic Ward season one kind of way. But then he apologizes to her. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's really, that's, and then they, it it was just such a nice little moment, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I've I've been using that line on my team at work as well. The, I promise you I'm not an asshole boss. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's going really well. The the Ward school of business. They believe you, right? You're not an asshole boss. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and if anybody asks if I'm busy, right. definitely swap. It's working. You know, yeah, it's working. Um, another thing I wrote about was how Colleen inherited the Iron Fist at the end. Did you guys expect that at all? Like, I know there's, there's like, precedent for having a glowing sword in the comics, right? But it's not the Iron Fist she has, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm gonna get a little too technical here right now. You guys are ready? Give it to me. <laughs> I, I I am ninety percent sure that is not the Iron Fist. Okay, I am pretty sure the bowl just and this procedure just allows you to manipulate your chi. But technically, it is not the Iron Fist. I mean, in the yeah. comics, Colleen does do something similar and manipulates her chi in another mm-hmm. way. And I mean, technically, we all have chi. I haven't been able to light my fist up yet, so I'm not sure what I'm, do- <laughs> what I'm doing wrong. But yeah, I'm not sure. I wonder if that's going to be something, you know, like season three, where technically it's not. Uh, I, I don't know. That's kind of what I got into it on Twitter about. You know, you have these. I thought I was kind of, you know, a radical Iron Fist fan, but then you have this group group of people past me it's like what the hell you took away the iron fist and i think it's kind of a a good way that they could kind not necessarily walk back but just kind of explain well danny still is the iron fist and this is just something else it's really a nitpicky thing but uh, i don't know yeah, I mean, the, the, all these new seasons are about like uh, shaking up the structure. So, like, you know, Danny doesn't have the Iron Fist anymore. Luke Cage is kind of a bad guy. Uh, yeah. Jessica Jones like lost all of her friends. Daredevil's technically dead. <laughs> and having all those hallway sex scenes. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, as an added plot twist, uh, Matt Murdock can just see now. You know, he got his vision back. Just to completely subvert. Uh, no. um, <laughs> that would be amazing. But <laughs> uses yeah. uses his cheat yeah. to see. Um, I uh, knew that the main complaint about Iron Fist season one was um, that the Iron Fist was a uh, white, like B, played by that actor in particular. Um, and I thought that like what they should do is find a way to transfer the Hires of the Iron Fist to someone else. I did not think they would have the balls to do it. And then when the season two trailer came out and I saw that Davos was going to get it, I was like, oh, that's perfect. Like Davos will be the villain and like he'll take the Iron Fist away and then like he'll be the Iron Fist. And they did that and then they were like, also, we're going to just do everything you guys asked for, so now Colleen is also going to be the Iron Fist. But I thought it was great. I mean, I, I didn't think they were going to have the balls to do it, and they totally did it. Um, and I think they did uh, a good thing, and they like didn't like do that right at the beginning of the season to just like have the season be about Colleen. It was about like that whole journey and her learning to accept it, Danny learning to give yeah. it up, like... The season was about that transition, and they like built it up all the mm-hmm. way. So that was cool. That that wasn't even a possibility that occurred to me. So like Thomas, you're like a freaking prophet here. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I didn't mean, think they were gonna uh, do I saw, it. I just <laughs> I saw Davis with the two fists, and I was like, wow, they all figured out how to have iron fists. I didn't. Yeah, me too. I thought it was gonna be like fist versus fist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see, that um, was it's, it's... awkward. We got the screen. I think I watched like the first six episodes before the trailer even was yeah. released. So I'm like, well, shit, this is a stupid trailer. But... <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm. Um, it's, I'm just like imagining season three being like like Iron Man's Armor Wars, but it's going to be Iron Fist's like yeah, uh, Chi Wars. And everyone just has like, you know, the Iron Knee and the Iron <laughs> Forehead. And like, well, are like, there... Everyone's gonna... Hold on, we have comic book people in the audience, so or in our in our group. So, aren't there other immortal weapons? For sure, there are a total of seven of them. Okay, and do they wow. have two other glowing parts, or what's their deal? Could we see that? <laughs> yeah, so it comes back to chi. They all manipulate their chi in different ways. Like, uh, we kind of saw one in one. Episode six, the Bride of Nine Spiders. Um, but yeah, they also do like Fat Cobra is this huge sumo wrestler, but he happens to be like the Barry Allen, you know, he's Barry Allen, the fastest man alive. So that would be totally awesome <laughs> if they included that. But yeah, they not really any of them makes their fist light up. Technically, Davos is an immortal weapon, um, and he has the fist and stuff. Um, but yeah, nothing glowing. Um, yeah. Did anyone just want to talk about season three thoughts, like preferably stuff you might have might not have uh, talked about before on the other podcast? Caleb had. Oh no, we talked about it on the other podcast. Never mind. I, I think if they did, <laughs> I mean, they kind of uh, dug into it a little bit with Colleen's ancestors with the pirate queen of Pinghai Bay. Yeah. Um. You know. It's it's no secret that Danny isn't the first Iron Fist, you know. So yep. if they would do, if they would have, you know, seven episodes feature on Danny and his story, but then interlace that with different tales of the 
other Iron Fists, you know, that would go a long way in kind of expanding the mythos. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'd like to see at least. Uh, Rhiannon, any uh, Iron Fist season three uh, item like wish list items? Um, no, I I, I talked about it. I, I liked the idea of there being no. I don't know if it's gonna be the Danny Award show. Uh, the the Danny Award buddy traveling show would be fantastic. Um, and then that leaves Colleen and Misty to go off and be daughters of the dragon, and maybe I, I don't know. Uh, where the future of the Netflix universe is going to go, if they're going to keep doing the standalones or maybe start giving us team-ups. I don't see it moving to Heroes for Hire anymore. At all. <laughs> Which, I, I, I applaud them. Because like that was something that if they kept hanging out in New York City together, <clears throat> doing their things, they had to become Heroes for Hire. And I applaud them for just moving so far away from that. Uh, so, yeah. um, I don't know, I don't really have a wish list. Yeah, that, that's the obvious thing to do. I don't want to see the the most obvious True. thing, to be honest. Yeah, well, the uh, the obvious easy answer is rarely the right one, as I've learned. So, yeah, I still want Walker to set Matt's hat on hair on fire. Oh yeah, that 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 happened. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Thomas, didn't you have a literal wish list, or that you were joking about, like? I, I said I just there. created it, and the only <laughs> thing on it was the Golden Golf Club. Um, I, I will definitely say that um, I think that the Ward-Danny partnership excited me a lot more when it was just Danny is good at martial arts, and Ward has money and kind of knows how to negotiate and work around the business world. Um, and I was super excited to see that, and I hope that they still do that, but it sounds like Danny's going to get magic powers again and have guns now and supernatural aim and i feel like the partnership's a little less equal and that makes me sad um i guess ward can drink more i'm not totally sure what their dynamic's going to be there um and then i would love uh for colleen to continue to go on a journey uh, I feel like I don't care about her ancestry that much, as much as like what she's going to do with this gift that she has now, um, and what kind of hero she's going to be. And she gets to kind of have an origin story uh, season, yeah. where um, now she has these powers, she has to go through the hero's journey and all that kind of stuff, without Danny, without friends. I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I think if they can't afford a dragon for season three, they should just copy and paste the one from Game of Thrones. So this just in, breaking news, um, Raven Metzner just confirmed that it was the psychiatrist from season one. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. Well, he actually, he, he advertised it on the Twitter. He, like, quote tweeted, so everybody just heard it from him, and we're old news. But this was when it really happened, people. Uh, yeah, so by the time this is out, um, you should be able to read my article uh, that I did a read-on at the beginning of this episode uh, on the website. You can also read Adam's review on Marvel News Desk and uh, also listen to him recite it on YouTube. I want to say, Adam, that the review has a lot of hits. Yeah, that's what they tell me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody told me that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, stick the word. Rhiannon says it's got that Reddit credit. Yeah, we, so... we hear it has Reddit credit. Everybody, please go share our stuff on Reddit because, like, 
Reddit because we need them clicks. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and I also have my own review of Iron Fist season two. You can find that on Destructoid, and I think that's pretty much it. Uh, Thomas Rasmussen. If someone wanted to find you on the internet, where could they find you? I hope that they don't, and you should stop trying. Alright, you suck. Um, I, I, I don't like using any of my social media accounts, yeah, and I'm yeah, not yeah. attempting to be famous. So. Google Plus? Uh, it's <laughs> Definitely not. Sure. Um, Adam, because you are not a coward, uh, what, what, what can, where can people find you <laughs> on social media? At Adam Barnhart, B-A-R-N-H-A-R-D-T. <laughs> okay. And uh, Rhiannon, your social media handles you would like to share. On Twitter, I am at Shot of Patron. Mm-hmm. For reasons, because Brooklyn Wallace is taken. Huh. Mm. Um, and you won't see the word Rhiannon there. Sure. It's Brooklyn something or other. T- um, Typhoid Mary avatar, right? Profile picture? Yeah, Typhoid yeah. Mary avatar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if anybody wants my live journal, you can hit me up. <laughs> okay. but, uh, uh, the two of you, anything on the site that people should check out that I might have missed or anything that's uh, coming up soon that you can talk about? All Daredevil all the time. <laughs> uh, did you do a video on the no. Gifted or is that coming out or am I not? Yeah, we have a new, uh, we have a Gifted video yeah. coming out probably this weekend. Um, our Patreon subscribers can already see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's by a new contributor, Sarah Angel. Oh, cool. And she's just helping us out with gifted and runaway stuff when she can. Awesome. So we'll have that coming out. If you're looking for, if like, I mean, if you're listening to AP Marvel and you don't listen to the Marvel News Desk podcast, look through our stuff. We have a cool interview with Chris Brewster. Mm. That's Daredevil's stuntman. And he also did Captain America. You should definitely listen to yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Because... He is one cool dude. Mm-hmm. And when Daredevil comes out, we will talk to him about those hallway sex scenes. Yeah, awesome. Because there were massive stunts that <laughs> happened in those. Yeah. And uh, he had some real input. Who knew? Yeah. No, wow. Um, really pushing And if point. you are from Marvel and thinking I'm violating my NDA, then obviously... Um, <laughs> Then you haven't seen. <laughs> yeah, you should watch your own damn If show. anybody out there thinks I'm actually spoiling Daredevil, <laughs> yeah, always sex scenes. But... Speaking of, you're telling <laughs> you're telling me Matt and Foggy actually don't have sex. Mm-hmm. I I can neither confirm nor deny oh, that Matt uh, and Foggy. Okay. The, the NDA was very specific, Adam. <laughs> gotcha. I mean, like it had that extra line. <laughs> the... <laughs> You will not tell anybody about the Matt and Foggy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of sex, um, the next uh, episode that should come out oh, a yeah. uh, week after this is actually about love and sex uh, and how it's depicted in the MCU. We got my my playwright buddy Dave Harris on that. Uh, a lot of technical issues occurred during that episode, so I'll see how that turns out uh, on my end. Hopefully it'll be a coherent episode. Um, you know, there are a lot of great points made, but at the same time we talked about a lot of, uh, uh, you know, Adam and Rianne, and you saw this on Twitter, but we do we do talk about some uh, some of Vision's parts, I guess we can talk, we can say. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there there's some, uh, expect some discourse uh, on that level. But uh, yeah, look forward to that. And you can find me on Twitter at Compenderizer. Um, you can find Marvel News Desk at Marvel News Desk, and we also have a Patreon you can give to. 
And yeah, thanks to Izzy Show for our logo. Uh, I think one Charles Villanueva uh, also made a new logo for us that we might push out soon. Uh, Steve Motter made the music. And that's AP Moral for this week. Uh, guys, thanks for being on this week. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. My, Always a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, my, my, thanks for doing the editing. Yeah, totally. My resident uh, Iron Fist fan and Typhon Mary fan and whatever Thomas is, so... Wow. <laughs> you should give me something. Okay, well, that's it for us today. It's goodbye, good night, good luck. <laughs>